this, these one-page handouts are not meant to be exhaustive, but what they are meant to do is provide you with a, with a primer, as it were, uh, to, to dive into this study. Say you open up the book of Genesis with your family, uh, or if you're opening up the book of Genesis privately in your own private study, or your Sunday school is about to go through the book of Genesis, you know, on and on you find yourselves in these different moments where uh, you're opening up to a certain book of the Bible at any given moment, and you'll be able to have a one-page uh, summation of some important things there. And so it's not meant to be an exhaustive task for us to kind of uh, march through every piece. Uh, that would take much longer. But uh, it'll be very profitable for us uh, to, to have uh, a brief survey of the Bible to be done in 66 weeks. <laughs> Having said that, uh, please pray with me before we start. Heavenly Father, uh, we do ask that you would bless our endeavor to go through all 66 books of the Bible. Lord, we thank you uh, that you have revealed to us your uh, will in word. And so, Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit would fill us, would give us eyes to see uh, and ears to hear and hearts that might remember uh, what it is you would have for us uh, in all of your revelation, because it is all profitable, Lord, Help us to hold fast to that. Help us to be able to apply it in our lives, privately and publicly. Lord, bless us now as we begin in the book of Genesis, as we see uh, the origins of what you would have for us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the book of Genesis. Uh, uh, if, if you see here, not, we might walk through these. We won't do this every Wednesday, but it might help us just for the first time to see how I've split up uh, our one-page handouts. Uh, the book of Genesis will start with the theme, and I, I, I have in italics here above each one, and like I said, these won't be here every lesson, but I thought it might help just this time to see. Uh, the theme is a one-sentence description, and it hits the big picture. And, and Genesis, in Genesis, we see that God created everything very good. A very bad decision was made by Adam, and so God begins to reveal to his people a rescue plan, salvation through Jesus Christ. I'm not going to read the context and the connection portions, but the context is meant to answer very simply who, what, when, where, and maybe a little bit uh, of the how. Uh, but but the, the context, uh, you, you can find those in any reputable study Bible or things like that. I might make mention of those summations, uh, give you a, a, a few helps along the way. But it's nice to know that the, that the book of Genesis does literally mean origins. It's at the beginning of our Bible because it means in the beginning. Uh, that's what it means in the Hebrew. Uh, uh, Genesis being, of course, the Greek term, meaning origins, but uh, it, it's the very beginning. Uh, Moses wrote it probably in the, around the 1500 mark B.C. Uh, this would be while they were uh, in the Exodus, so the, the people of God would have been reading this uh, uh, and hearing this in, in all likelihood uh, while they were uh, eating manna in the wilderness hearing how uh, they got there and what God was doing in the Lord's providence. He kept this book for us to see even now how we got here in the first place. Uh, also with connection, this little section, uh, uh, if you see the italics there, provides brief commentary on the book's 
interrelation to the rest of Scripture. You know, it's nice for us on Sunday mornings, for instance, or in Sunday schools to dig into small parts of Scripture. And yet, in reality, when we talk about the books of the Bible, it makes up one big book, the Bible. Uh, and so uh, we can sometimes lose it when, for instance, on Sunday we talk about 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 through 25. Well, we're not talking about 1 Peter anymore. Well, we're not talking about the overall arching theme of what's happening when that letter came uh, because, because we, we're diving in and that's profitable. And yet this, likewise, uh, is very good. And so we see Genesis as a book of, of beginnings, uh, but, but it's connected to the rest of Scripture in, in a not a bad way, but, but we fell here. Man sinned for the first time. We were created. Everything was very good. And then sin enters into the picture, and that's very bad. We were kicked out of the Garden of Eden, and now what do we do? Well, the Lord is saving us, and he reveals that from the very beginning. And so we see as we march through the rest of Scripture, continual uh, uh, reference back to this beginning moment, to this sin moment. Continual reference back to God's providence even then and providing a prophecy that we'll see uh, here in just a little while. And so the connection that we see with Genesis is that, is that it's the foundation. It, it, it's the block, uh, as it were, that, that is almost required for us to see why everything else is happening. Uh, we could still understand it if Genesis wasn't here. And yet, if Genesis wasn't here, there would be some things that were very clouded. How did we get here in the first place? Why do we need Jesus? We would see that we sinned in all the rest of Scripture, and yet where did that sin come from? Well, we see where it comes from in the fall, in the heart of man. And then lastly, the last little section here, uh, uh, Rebecca and I, I include Rebecca in this so you can't just make fun of me. We were looking for uh, uh, not too corny, but a kind of corny, kind of silly uh, uh, title for the section. We came up with Solid Rock Verses. Uh, solid rock has a double meaning here, and you'll see this in the italics. Uh, it has a double meaning because, well, Jesus is the solid rock. And so what we'll see in these uh, little sections of Scripture that we're going to march through tonight and that, that you'll see subsequently throughout the rest of Scripture, or throughout the rest of the books, rather, uh, the 66 books, we'll have these solid rock verses. Jesus is proclaimed, uh, obviously, here. All of Scripture speaks to Jesus and yet there are some first among equals, if I might say it that way. And, and, and so we can see those. And then uh, the double meaning, though, Jesus is the, is the solid rock. These, these verses kind of uh, ultimately proclaim Christ in this very prophetic and obvious way. And, and yet also, because of that, it's like a rock falling into water. And the ripples affect the rest of the book that we're in. Solid rock verses. Uh, you'll see what I mean as we march through those. And, and that will be the format of how we march through as well, just to let you know. There, there is no good way to cover an entire book of Scripture in 30 minutes. And so this is one way uh, that is better than some ways and worse than others, uh, but it's the way that we have chosen. And so we'll, we'll hit these solid rock verses, and, and, and the, the in-betweens are still just as important as the solid rock verses. And yet, with these... We'll have a very good survey of the field. Uh, this is uh, as, as a, a, a man wiser than myself as he was entering into a similar 
uh, a similar survey once said, this is the zoomed out picture. We're in an airplane and we're, we're looking at the geography that the Lord has laid out for us. Uh, we're not on the ground walking as it were on the path. We're, we're zoomed out. It's the mountain view. We can see a whole lot and yet we can't see people's faces sometimes. And so we'll have to recognize that. And you'll see what I mean as we go through. You'll think, why didn't he cover, you know, Sodom and Gomorrah or, or some other piece? We might not hit uh, certain stories and it's just because we can't. But with these solid rock verses, uh, the, the pieces will be in place for you to begin study uh, in, a, in a concerted fashion in each of these books. Having said that, let's start with our first one then. Uh, can I get a, a, a glass of water from somebody, please? Uh, I would appreciate that. Thank you. Uh, y'all probably don't want to hear me coughing into the mic. Thank you so much. Uh, Genesis 1, and I, I included here uh, with, with Genesis 1, Colossians 1. Because Colossians 1 does all the revealing that we need here. Uh, but, but Genesis 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Uh, th- this reality, thank you. Appreciate that. This reality of God creating uh, is so important to our Christian paradigm, to, to our worldview, to use the the term that we like to throw around so much nowadays, and it's an okay term, but, but how did all this stuff happen? Well, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and subsequently from there, we see him create all the other things. Uh, we see the stars and the moon. We see the sun. We see the dry land and the water and the sea. Uh, we see animals. We see the final thing, man, a very good. Uh, God says everything's good. He says man is very good. And so at the very first, uh, Genesis 1.1, how, how does all this start? Well, God created it. Uh, we see more than that in Colossians 1.16 uh, that, that it was, it was uh, God the Son, that, that in him, that is Jesus, all things were created. That's Colossians 1.16. It's annexed to Genesis 1.1 just, just as a help for you to see that, that, that God the Son, in him were all things created. Uh, he is God, and Jesus is creating things that are very good. Now, I like to mention here a, a, an illustration, and, and I'll probably bring it up in one way or the other almost every time we meet. And, and you'll probably get annoyed by it, and I'll start to see some eye rolls. But for now, hopefully it'll be new to you, so you won't do that. Uh, there are certain points in Scripture where we run and we run and we run, and we come up, as we study, and we come up against a wall. And when we come up against the wall, we think, okay, this is a tougher part of Scripture. However, if I continue to study, and if I continue to look, and if I continue to see other pieces of Scripture, I might climb this wall and hurdle it, that I might continue forward in my study. Well, we come to certain passages, Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The wall, as it were, is infinitely high. And when we look, we see no end to the wall. And when we look to the left and to the right, there's no end to the wall. We can't get around the wall because we've come up against God's infinity. Uh, we've come up against God's infiniteness. And we, as human beings, are created. We are finite. Uh, our minds cannot comprehend everything about God. That's not to say that we can't comprehend some things that God has revealed to us. And yet, 
God being God is not in his totality comprehensible to us. I said that very purposefully, and I'm not going to say it again because I'll probably mess it up. Uh, God, uh, when, you, when you think about him and, and his being, the triune God, uh, all of these words that we use about him, he himself has said to us. He has revealed himself to us, and yet he is totally other apart from that revelation. And so if you stick with me for a moment, it, it, the whole time we're not going to be like this, but this is very important because it's the very beginning for creation. God has no beginning because he's God. Uh, do you start to see where we hit the wall because our, our minds struggle to comprehend that? No, we see here in the beginning. Well, this is creation's beginning. This is the beginning for us, for God's people. But this is not God's beginning. God, for an eternity past, was there in fellowship with himself. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. Uh, there's love there. Uh, there's justice and kindness and mercy. All those things that we can comprehend. And, and yet, it, it's outside of the realm of time and space. It, it, it's incomprehensible to us like that. And yet, now we enter into Genesis 1.1. And in the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. How wonderful. And, and the earth was without form and void, we see in verse 2, and yet, yet the Lord forms it. The spirit hovering, hovering over the deep. We see order beginning to come out of chaos. And we see that all the way through the creation narrative. Speaking of the creation narrative, one thing I felt that I must cover here uh, are, it's really two parts. Uh, everyone's probably thinking in their mind, all right, Jeremiah, just get to it. Get to whether it's sixth day or if, if the days mean something else or, or something, you know, uh, regarding the days. What, what's the timing of this whole thing? Uh, before we get there, let's talk about some, some musts. That, that's how I have it written here, some musts. Uh, what are some things that we must uh, recognize when we come to Genesis chapters 1, 2, and a little bit of 3. What are some things that we must believe? Well, uh, because we are uh, a God's people, he has called us uh, in the name of Jesus by his Holy Spirit. His Holy Spirit has quickened us to belief in his word is how he works. And we see that, that his word is God-breathed. Because of that, we believe what God has, has, has recorded here. Of course, men were writing, being carried along by the Holy Spirit. We see that in 2 Peter. If y'all just wait a little while in the fall, you'll get to see that uh, when we preach on it uh, in our ser sermon series. But, but uh, believe me until then that it's there, uh, that, that men were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And because of that, when we come to Genesis 1 and 2, we see this creation narrative. Well, what's it saying? It's saying that in six literal days... God created these things? Is it saying that Adam and Eve were, were real and that there was nothing and then there's something? Or is this, is this poetry and, and are Adam and Eve just representative figures of humanity? You might see and hear some of these opinions and some of these thoughts fly uh, in the midst of, of uh, uh, mainline evangelicalism. Uh, you might see this in our religious studies department here at USC or other public universities. But... There are some musts. If you believe in Jesus and you believe in uh, the gospel, the good news that Jesus saves, well, you must believe in a historical Adam. 
because Adam, uh, as it were, uh, was, was the first man. And because of that, uh, when he sinned, uh, his progeny, all those around him, there was corruption. Uh, and that was passed down. He was the head of mankind, the firstborn. Well, Jesus, the second Adam, Scripture calls him, did the same thing. Just except with corruption, he did it with salvation. And so if you do away with Adam, you do away with the salvation of Christians through Jesus Christ, as we see it written in the Bible. If you give away one part of Scripture, uh, it's, it's very quick and it's very subtle, and yet all the rest of Scripture begins to crumble. And this is a very obvious moment with the historicity of Adam and Eve. Uh, did they exist? This is a must. Adam and Eve existed as we see it here. God created them in the garden. Where's the garden? We don't know. And that's okay. Now, remember, when, and I said it, but we need to emphasize it. What's another must? God is doing it. It says, Scripture says, that God did this. Now, this was not a, a moment of, of primordial evolution leading up uh, through the bacteria splitting and things like this all the way to the moment where, oh, Moses is able to record the Garden of Eden because we find ourselves as sentient human beings through the process of evolution up until this point, and now we can begin history as we know it. I am not necessarily blanket stating evolution away. You can see it in science. You can see a, a red flower and a blue flower, and they turn into a purple flower, and then only purple flowers exist in the field. A simple moment of evolution. Now there are purple flowers, and bees love purple much more than blue and red. And, and because of that, you know, the bee pot, we can see it. That's wonderful. And yet in this moment, evolution as an overarching theory doesn't fit. And so we cannot hold to it. If we are to hold fast to God's word, if we are to hold fast to what he has revealed, uh, and if we are to hold fast to Christ as well. It's not to do away with the theory of evolution entirely. It's to do away with the theory of evolution in totality uh, as, a, as a, a, a rigid structure in which we must operate. Uh, God himself created uh, all that is good here in the beginning. And God created Adam and Eve as they are uh, and were here in Genesis 2 and 3. One, two, and three, rather. Now, coming back to, you know, if, if we're to say these musts, uh, that God is doing all of this, that Adam and Eve are, are historical figures, that these are actual events taking place in a specific place with a, a specific time, well, what is the time? Is it six literal days? Is it six figurative days? Is it poetry uh, in, a, in a conservative sense? Uh, there, there are a couple different views. I'll give them to you, and I'll give you mine uh, after that. Uh, there are a couple views that hold, that hold to Scripture well and that can be held by Christian believers uh, with, with no qualm with their conscience or with God's Word. Uh, the first is six literal days. God created the earth in six days. He rested on the seventh. Because of that, we can say God created the earth in six literal days. Uh, it, we are to take the days literal. Uh, this is how I have traditionally done it. This is what I believe scripture lends itself to. Now, uh, Jeremiah, what about uh, naming all of the animals? You know, there's one day, right, where Adam has a wedding. He, he names all the animals. 
And he also has this kind of longer conversation with the Lord, and, and, and there's rain and there's growth, and all this stuff is happening on one day. If, if you look at it, we don't have to go uh, into, the, into the kind of nitty-gritty, but, but this, this happens. Well, the timing of things is tricky, and that is a complication with six literal days. And so some have taken the framework theory. Well, the framework theory uh, is that this is poetry, but, it, but it's, it's only recorded poetically yet it's recording very historical facts in a very historical way, but it's just Moses kind of pinning this uh, in a way that his people might remember it. Uh, this is, this is a, a commonly held Reformed tradition, the framework theory. Uh, there is also weakness there too, though, because uh, you know later on in Scripture we see uh, the Sabbath week. Six days you work, and the seventh day you rest. Well, it's, it says, Dad, it says uh, Dad, it says God created uh, the heavens and the earth in six days and rests on the seventh. So, too, we see the pattern that is then enacted in our lives as believers, as followers of God, to do the very same thing. The Sabbath is instituted from the very beginning. Unless it's poetry, and then it's just a, a framework using that Sabbath later. Uh, and, and, and so there's a complication there. Well, then there's others uh, who hold to a creation uh, where they use the word day, but day is uh, a signifier for time. And so it could be an epoch. It could be a million years per day. Uh, and within those million years, uh, these things happen. And in the next million, these things happen. Or, you know, depending on what science you hold to and how old the earth is uh, from the, you know, the science of the day. Well, oh, now it's 1.75 million years per day. And now it's, you know, 2.5. And you split it up nice. It adds up. Uh, that changes a lot. You know, when I was in high school, the earth was one age. When I was in college, the earth was like 20 million years older. And now it's like 10 million years younger or something. And every time I look, the number is different. And the, the, the science of the day holds to new findings uh, of the reality. Oh, well, our previous method was wrong. And on and on it goes. And all of a sudden, uh, either I've gained 10 million years uh, or we're just wrong. Uh, we're, we're, we're talking about things that... Uh, are very difficult for us to understand. All of these can fit very well within Scripture, and you can hold to them. There are strengths and weaknesses to each of them. There is a moment in time where when we come to the creation, we hit the wall. And when we hit the wall, we look up and we can't go. We look left and we can't go. We look right and we can't go. We need to stand still, and we need to pray, and we need to see what Scripture has for us. And what does Scripture has for, have for us? It has these musts. Adam and Eve, historical. How did they get there? God made them. Where was God? He was there creating, uh, uh, giving order to chaos, uh, bringing things into existence out of nothing, and all for his glory. Uh, if, if we dare to tread into the places of God and we do so with a wrong heart, we shouldn't be surprised when we are proven wrong time and time again, as children are when they get overzealous to prove their parents wrong. It's a, it's a dangerous thing to be filled with pride and to presume that we know everything there is about things that are difficult to know anything about apart from God's revelation. I don't want you to think this is a cop-out. Uh, it just is what it is. Uh, people who take staunch stances on this are obliterated when you bring up 
the weaknesses of each argument. It's why it's such a hotly debated issue. However, you can stand faithfully on these, uh, whether you believe it's six literal days, because you see in Scripture that God tells you the earth was made in six days and that he rested on the seventh. And that that holds great weight as we move through the Bible and we see the Sabbath instituted and we see that there's six days of work and one day of rest and we see that Christ redeems that and we start our day with rest because he is rest and we enter into rest in Christ and then we go six days only to be refreshed again when we come back to that first day. There is great strength in holding to that. Likewise, to, to recognize that uh, that, that we don't know everything, and that it doesn't say six literal days. It only uses the word day, and that elsewhere you can see the Hebrew word you, be used in a, in, a, in a way that shows day not to be these 24 hours that we're so used to. And so who knows if it's 24 hours? And so because of that, if your conscience is calling you into the reality that perhaps uh, science is onto something or with this millions of years uh, that, that we see with the earth, well, that's okay. How do we reconcile that with other things? It's simple. God created and God starts in a certain moment. Mankind starts and so it's recorded there. Uh, Likewise with the framework, the poetry, as long as you hold to the historical reality of Adam and Eve, uh, Moses wasn't even worried about that. He wasn't worried about the people of God knowing that it was 24 hours a day. He wasn't thinking about that. He was thinking about revealing creation to them and revealing how mankind came into existence. Not only that, revealing why it is they're struggling so much because of sin and why it is God is continually redeeming them from the dangers and the perils of this earth. That's what Moses was focusing on. And so you hold to the historical reality that Moses was recording this in a way that they could hold fast to it and remember it always because of the structure that it was in. We can do that too. Uh, Yet always we must remember that it's God who is working. Moving into our... Second piece, by the way, don't, don't get nervous. Uh, that, that was one of the larger pieces, if you're looking at the time. Uh, where we are okay. Uh, we're, not, we're not going until 8 o'clock or something. Uh, we can if y'all want. Uh, so, so then we come, as man is created, uh, into the fall. Uh, and if you look on our solid rock verses, Genesis three fifteen. if you flip with me over, uh, we'll, we'll be here in, in verses 1 and 3 for, for a little while. And then we're, then we're going to kind of zoom through this next part because it, it really speeds up as Genesis goes. And you'll see what I mean. But in, in, in Genesis, we come to, we come to the fall. Uh, most of you are familiar, but uh, a snake slithers up. Uh, God says, Adam, don't eat from here. Adam tells Eve, Eve, God told me don't eat from here. And you say, okay. Uh, the snake comes up and says, well, what did he really say? He tricks them. Uh, they fall into it, and they sin. I want to talk about just a few things about the fall of humanity. Uh, first, the sins. Why? This is another moment where we hit the wall. Why did sin have to enter in? We recognize that, that God created, uh, that, that God is other that, that God recognizes all things before things were, uh, that he knew and he knows and he will know uh, that he is in control. Why did they fall? It's a tough question. It's a very difficult one. 
And it must be entered into again with great humility. I'm not going to cover it again, but it's the same reality as creation. We must enter into it with fear and trembling. Uh, an answer that, that I hold fast to and that we'll see through the rest of Scripture is that there is revelation of God's great goodness uh, in the midst of our great badness. There is a revelation of mercy and grace that we would have never seen had Adam and Eve remained perfect. Uh, now, this, this answer can seem insufficient. It can seem topical uh, uh, to those who have serious dilemma with the reality of evil entering into the world. Uh, God is, is totally good. How can evil enter in? These questions come up. Where'd the snake even come from? Uh, these questions are big, and they have not been answered. And as we enter into it humbly, we recognize that there has been great revelation and that we have learned much about our Father, and we have learned much about the Godhead, Jesus Christ being revealed in the Spirit, and, and, and the, the, the love uh, with which he has loved us, even unto death, uh, is impossible without this event. Uh, some people would argue that that doesn't equal out to the pain and suffering that we feel and that all humanity feels. And yet again, I would encourage humility in the place of pride. And when we, when we think we have the answers to these things and we see God moving forward in such a humble way, God of the universe and humble in the same sentence for us, we pause. We must pause. Uh, this becomes uh, very apparent uh, when, when we see the actual fall. And, and before I get to Genesis 3.15, just very quickly, well, it was the woman who sinned. If only the woman wasn't there. Uh, and then the other side, well, you know, all mankind fell in Adam. He was the representative. If only Adam would have been better and he would have told them not to do... Uh, the, <laughs> there are arguments uh, one way and the other, but, but we need to be real. Adam and Eve, they both sinned. <laughs> they both sinned greatly. Uh, Eve fell into the temptation of the snake. She was tricked? No, she let herself be tricked. And more than that, she wanted Adam to taste of the forbidden fruit. Adam knew. Adam is, not, uh, Adam is not an innocent figure in this story. Uh, he saw a moment to seize that which he was not supposed to have, to usurp the, the place of God, and he did it. And they fell. And sin enters in. And it carried with it the corruption that we even feel now. Our first father corrupted us all. Uh, sin comes into the, into the world and things change. They're, they're booted out of the garden. Perfection has ceased to be. And yet, Genesis 3.15, our solid rock verse, read it with me. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. God is talking to the snake. God is talking to Satan, the deceiver, that which is evil in this world. And he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. And here it is. He shall bruise your head. Now what happens when you stomp on a snake's head? Kill it. Well, what happens when you get bit on the heel? You hurt, right? 
It hurts. Ow! But you don't die. Victory is coming. This is called the Proto-Evangelion. The first time you see the gospel. It's right here. He shall bruise your head. The offspring of the woman, as we see clearly in Jesus Christ, will crush the serpent's head. The gospel, even there, begins. And so Adam and Eve are kicked out, uh, and, and so ensues uh, the rest of Genesis, right? The, the, the fall and the creation. Just three chapters, uh, creation and fall. Just three chapters, and yet, in it, it's much uh, 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 immensity. I, I can't even think of words uh, that, to, to ponder upon the reality of God entering in, to ponder upon the reality of God uh, not just doing away with that which is not good, but loving. When we begin to think about God, this carries with it much weight. It is, it is a heavy grace and a heavy mercy. It's not cheap. If we continue on in our solid rock verses, we'll come to our, uh, our third point. I have four points. The first was creation. The second one was fall. This one's covenants. You see this? It's a huge thing in Genesis. Uh, covenants. And, and it's going to play out. This is one way that, it, that, that Genesis is felt through the rest of Scripture. In covenants. All right? Uh, what's a basic definition of covenant? Well, a covenant is a... Now... Listen, some theologians would gut punch me on this, but uh, it, they would say it's too simple. But this is a very good working definition. A covenant is a promise between two parties with a consequence attached. All right? It's not just a promise. It's not just consequences. It's a promise between two parties with consequences attached. All right? Uh, we see uh, uh, in, in the garden uh, of of Eden with Adam, uh, the first covenant made, the covenant of works. Do this and you shall live. What was he supposed to do? Don't eat the fruit. Don't eat it. If you don't eat the fruit, you'll live. What did he do? He ate the fruit. What happened? He died. Uh, He didn't die immediately, but he lived and lived and lived and lived and then he died. Death entered into the world. The covenant of works, that's where all things started. Uh, well, what do we see next? Genesis nine thirteen. We're going to speed up now. Uh, this is Noah. Uh, Noah and the ark. Well, after the ark uh, is, is sl- safely landed on the mountain, the waters are subsiding. A rainbow appears in the sky. Uh, Genesis nine thirteen reads, I have set my bow in the cloud, and that shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. I will never do this again. Totally destroy. I will never totally destroy. And I'll set the rainbow so whenever you see it, you'll see a bow, as it were, with an arrow knocked, ready to shoot itself right at me if I lie to you. I will never destroy everything again like I did this time, Noah. And so uh, th- this covenant uh, starts um, this reality of, of, of revealing that, that there's more. Uh, there, there's something that God is doing. Uh, it's revealing that, that though man fell in the covenant of works, and though they're trying as hard as they can, sin continues to overwhelm them, and they can no longer do the things that God has called them to do to live. What are they to do? Well, God comes in, and first he promises he's not going to do this to the earth again. He's not going to destroy everything. 
Well, uh, we continue forward and we see uh, the call of Abram in, verse, uh, in chapter 12, verse 2. 12.2. I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you will be a blessing. Well, how does he do this? Uh, we go to verse, uh, chapter 15, verse 5. This is God talking to Abraham still. So we see this happen with a man named Noah. Now we're seeing this happen with a man named Abraham. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward the heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And then we go down to verse 17. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, and on and on. The Kenites and the uh, Perathites and the uh, Jebusites, on and on. We see all this land given. Uh, God is making a covenant. With Abraham. More than that, he passes between the divided flesh of two animals, which in that time signified, if I break my promise, I will be split in half like this animal. I'll die. You can kill me. This is God speaking. He's saying, listen, I promise I'm going to give you this land. Now, the covenant's being made, but, uh, but, but what's happening What's this reality? Well, we'll go to chapter 17, verse 7. We'll continue with Abraham and and the covenants that he's getting. Uh, Verse 7, this is in regards to circumcision. I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. Oh, to be God to you and to your offspring after you. A covenant with generations. God is beginning to reveal a covenant of grace. uh, That that is, he is going to be God to these people who don't deserve God's presence, who don't deserve to to have God in such an intimate relationship. The covenant of works that happened in the Garden of Eden was their chance. Don't do this and you'll live. You can procreate, you can have all the people in the world, and they will be in perfect communion with me. It'll be heaven on earth. They failed the test. They're kicked out. And yet God again and again starts to reveal the covenant of grace. He starts to reveal that that there's another way. There's a way that God is providing. Again, I'll just read this last part. To be God to you and to your offspring after you. I will establish my covenant. Uh, This this covenant of grace uh, is most easily seen in Jesus himself coming but but here's the here's the wonderful part these two covenants that i'm talking about uh, it, it seems complicated sometimes but but just think about it like this jesus i said before was the second adam adam was supposed to obey god if he did we would all live jesus he comes and he's perfect he's born of the virgin mary we confess this every sunday morning uh, the corruption all of a sudden is no longer upon him And now Jesus lives a perfect life. He fulfills the covenant of works. And he dies for us. And so now all of a sudden, there's someone who has done it. More than that, it's God and man. And so when he dies, his sacrifice is not only for himself. His blood is sufficient to save all those that profess in his name. 
what God is beginning to reveal in these covenants, and we'll see him, uh, we'll see him continue with David, uh, and we'll see it in Jeremiah when we get to Jeremiah, is, is that God is showing a, a better way, a new way, a way that doesn't rely on man, a way that relies on God. And in that, there is total security, there is total uh, reality of salvation that cannot be lost. There is no condition because Jesus met the condition. Uh, it's God who is promising time and time again, I will save you. We move on to uh, uh, the, the last portion, and, and we'll close here in, in just about five minutes, if you'll permit. Uh, this last portion, we've seen the creation of God in Genesis. At the very beginning, we've seen the fall, uh, the beginning of, of, of the, the, the bad news, to, to use kind of the, the silly thing that we sometimes say, you've got to have the bad news before the good news. Well, we see that bad news right where it starts. And then we see in the covenants, we see a beginning of, of, of something different, of God beginning to work on man's behalf. And then we see in this last point, family, and that God works through the family. Uh, God works through the family. Uh, Genesis twenty-two fourteen. 14, uh, uh, Abraham uh, is called to sacrifice Isaac, if you remember, on the mountain. And when Abraham sacrifices Isaac, uh, well, he stops. Because God provided. And what does Abraham say? Yahweh Yireh. God will provide. And God provided for Abraham. Well, we see Isaac as he begins to uh, participate in some of the sins of his father. Uh, he doesn't really know what's going on. He kind of runs away because uh, he, he's doing some weird things. And, and, and all of a sudden, he finds uh, his wife, Rebecca, And they carry on. God reveals himself to him. I am the God of your father, Abraham. Uh, and then we, we continue forward to Jacob. Uh, this is uh, verse 3510. We'll read this one and then we'll wrap up. Verse 3510. So we have Abraham, uh, his son Isaac, now Isaac's son Jacob. And God said to him, your name is Jacob. No longer shall your name be called Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. So he called his name Israel. God is beginning to reveal that he works through a family. This family that we see here in Genesis is Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But it's not just Jacob. Now it's Israel. Who is Israel? Israel has 12 sons. These 12 sons become the 12 tribes of Israel. These 12 tribes of Israel begin to move through. Uh, they're in Egypt. Then they do an exodus. Then they come into the promised land. Then they take over the promised land. Then they sin. And then those sins bring them into Babylon. Then they come back from Babylon. And then they live and they live and they live until Jesus is born in this family. A lot of times we look at the nation of Israel and we talk about the nation. But God works through family. God works through family. He works through this family and it's God's family. Uh, this is the big one. This is our church. This is Centennial. But he also works through little families. He works through each of your families. You might be an individual. You might have a few relatives. You might have a ton of relatives. Where, where are the mills at? <laughs> uh, listen, we got, we got to stop. But, but seriously, uh, they might be big families or little ones. Yet the God, uh, the God of Israel, the God of the family Israel, works in the family. He doesn't work uh, through massive machinations. You don't have to be powerful. You see it time and again. Uh, what I didn't cover was uh, Genesis 49 and Genesis 50. God working through individuals within this family, his family, and yet very small. 
unrecognizable, in jail. And yet, by God's providence, brought into total power. Uh, brought into total recognition. And more than that, he saves all his family. Uh, if you would, uh, just look uh, in your own time. Uh, Genesis 50, verse 20, uh, and Joseph. And the reality that, that God used the youngest son of no repute to save his entire family. Much like Jesus, of no repute, despised by men, saved us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Thank you for Genesis. Uh, Lord, I pray as we move forward, uh, we, can, we can use these little helps and, and we can look to these solid rock verses on our own time and we can use them as, as, as uh, ripples, as it were, uh, to look at the other pieces of these scriptures. Uh, Lord, I pray that as we do move into it uh, and as we, uh, we look to see what you would have for us, uh, that we might learn and remember and that as we remember these big picture moments uh, of your uh, mercy and grace of creation and fall, and covenant, and family, that you would bless us in it as we go back to see it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.